Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We are going to work hard this morning, and at the end of this preach, I can give you a bit of a guarantee that I will have annoyed you, okay? That's where we're going to be. You'll be annoyed at the end of this preach. That's a a Timmy guarantee for today, Mum, so we can look forward to that together, can't we? Uh, And my aim for this morning actually is really very, very simple. I have one thing that I want to happen, one outcome that I want you to take with you. I want you to consider beginning a habit of fasting. Now you can see why you're thinking, yes, this is going to annoy me. Yes. Um, And why is that? Well, I think actually uh, it is a life-changing venture to begin fasting, not only your own life, but actually perhaps the lives of those around you. And and why do we need to think about this? Why are we going to talk about this today? Well, fasting was a big part of Jesus' life. Uh, Before he began his ministry, he spent 40 days Fasting, that's 40 days without, forty days and nights without food. Uh, that's what he did. And it's easy to think, well, that was Jesus. He was a bit special, right? He was God. Of course, he probably didn't obsess about lasagna for a whole week whilst fasting. It probably wasn't who he was. Well, we believe Jesus was fully man and fully God. What we also know about Jesus was that he loved food. Jesus was a foodie. We won't regularly find Jesus enjoying other people's hospitality, eating food, being at weddings and drinking wine. We find Jesus cooking barbecues for people. Uh, Jesus loved food and wine. In fact, he liked it so much, he was accused of liking it too much. Not only do you eat with the wrong sort of people, but you also seem to eat and drink quite a lot, Jesus. Uh, That's who he was. I think if Jesus visited us on a Sunday and he hung out with us, I think the lunch afterwards would be his favourite part. I think he would love a trip to the Curry Mile with us. I think he'd be ambivalent about Weatherspoons, but I think he would like uh, the Curry Mile. But Jesus also fasted. So I want you to consider this this morning. And just to be very clear, fasting is to go without food for set periods of time, okay? And I don't just mean the length of this sermon, between biscuits, okay? Fasting is to go without food for a set period of time. Uh, And we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his uh, very famous sermon in Matthew, and and we get to the bit today where he talks about fasting. Uh, And before we read Jesus' words on fasting, we need to remember a few other things that he said leading up to this, because they're very helpful. Uh, He taught us on helping the poor. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, Beth taught us on this to help the poor. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the important line there. And then he goes on to teach on prayer, which if you were here last week, Colin taught us on prayer. And Jesus says, when you go to pray, go into your room, shut the door, And pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you, okay? So giving to the poor and praying, we do those things in secret. Other people don't see, but God sees. And then he moves on to fasting. Matthew 6, 16 to 18, he says, And when you do fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others, may not be seen by others, sorry, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Same sentence in each three bits of teaching on giving to the poor, on going to pray and fasting. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you might think, well, this is a little bit niche, Tim. Actually, Jesus doesn't say very much about fasting at all, which is true. He doesn't say much about it at all. Uh, And actually, in the New Testament, if you were to read it all through, you would find it mentioned a couple of times, but not a great deal. Uh, And actually, we read through the Old Testament, we would see there are a number of uh, big Old Testament figures that would have fasted, but it doesn't seem to be as important as praying, for example. It doesn't seem to be uh, that big a deal to them. So why should, we, why should we worry about it? What's the big deal? What does it matter? I think actually there is a, a secret power in fasting. Okay? There is a secret power when we fast. Something spiritual seems to happen. Uh, perhaps it's a little bit beyond what we can understand, but something seems to happen when we fast. So Jesus went into the desert, fasted for 90 days, and he went through a very intense spiritual battle in doing that. Something seemed to happen because he was fasting. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he first encountered Jesus, he was on the road to a city called Damascus, and he was going there to throw Christians in jail. He thought they were heretics. He wanted to shut them down. He wanted to stop them. He was going there to do that. And then Jesus appears to him on the road. Paul's reaction is to fast for three days. He fasted food and water, actually, for three days. And then his ministry began. Something seems to happen when we fast. Now, I know in in my own life, when I've fasted, it seems to have a profound effect on me and on situations around me. I've seen very difficult things in life have shifted because uh, I've fasted, I think. I've seen God grow me and move in me and challenge me to maturity in all sorts of things as a result, I think, of fasting. I've known God challenge me on sin as well, really uh, get into the depths of my heart and my character, actually, because I think I've fasted. And it's quite tricky to articulate why. We're not talking kind of Christian maths here. Fasting is X plus Y equals amount of time equals result afterwards. It, it doesn't work like that. That's not what we're talking about. But something seems to happen, right? God seems to use it and uh, do something. It seems that fasting creates a physical connection with our worship and our prayer. Okay, so uh, we tend to, as Westerners particularly, separate our spirituality from our physicality, which means we can uh, say that we are Christians, for example, but we can carry on behaving with our bodies in, in very different ways. We think, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect my spiritual life. Uh, but actually, they're very intertwined. The biblical worldview, the worldview of the, the people that wrote the Bible was that actually our bodies and our spirits are, are deeply intertwined. You can't really tell one from the other. And fasting reminds us that the spiritual and the physical are the same thing. 
So there is a, a secret power in fasting. Okay, so let's think about it. What is that power? Well, I think Jesus gives us some clues in this passage. And the first power is in obedience. Jesus starts by saying, when you fast. So he starts with an assumption. Jesus assumes that people who follow him, his disciples, people that would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I repent, I follow Jesus, I want to give my life to him. He assumes those people will fast. And by fast, again, he means they will go through periods of time where they won't eat food. Most likely, they will only drink water. Now, sometimes you might hear people say, I'm going to fast uh, social media. Uh, I'm going to go full monk mode. I'm fasting social media. I'm going to a Nokia 310 or whatever it was. And uh, I'm going to fast from Netflix uh, or whatever. And all of those are good ideas. They can be helpful for us. But when Jesus talks about fasting, he's talking about not eating food. So the when is important when we read what Jesus says here. The when, when you fast, it's the important words. Jesus thought his followers would fast. He seems to assume it. And it's important, actually, that we just let that for a moment just hang over us and have its effects in its own way. Those few words there, when you fast. And you should read that, and it should provoke some sort of reaction within you. Because if there's a when, we must consider the, the why. Okay, well, if Jesus assumes that we would fast, then why does he assume that? Why, why does he think that we should do that? Why does he call us to fast? I think Jesus saw fasting as a way to approach God that affects your whole body. So fasting is a way of expressing our need for God. By being physically hungry for food, you express your, phys- your kind of hunger and need for God. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. I've missed lunch. And that should remind us, yes, I need God. I should be hungry for God. But there's more to it than that as well. Actually, there's another time in Matthew where Jesus talks a bit about fasting. And in Matthew 9, Jesus is confronted by some disciples of a guy called John. So John the Baptist, who was a relative of Jesus, a friend of Jesus. Uh, and John was a, a great preacher who appears at the beginning of a number of the Gospels. And his whole job is to point towards Jesus. But he had numbers of followers and disciples uh, and A few of them confront Jesus and say, look, we fast. As disciples and followers of John, we fast. The Pharisees, we know this about them, they fast as well. But Jesus, your disciples, they don't fast. And Jesus replies to them, he says, look, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying to them, look, A time will come when I will return to be with the Father. So what do we know about Jesus' timeline? That actually the people asking this wouldn't have known, that Jesus will walk the earth for a time, then he will get to Jerusalem and he will be crucified and killed. He will be dead for three days, then he will be resurrected. God will bring Jesus back to life. And then he will be on the earth for a bit more in his kind of resurrected body, and then he will ascend to heaven. He will go back to be with the Father. We see that at the beginning of Acts. That's the timeline of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, in that moment when I go back to the Father, the bridegroom will be gone. The Holy Spirit will be here. I will be with my people, but physically I will be gone. And in that moment, we fast. We pray 
we fast, we wait for Jesus to return. He says his followers would fast at that moment. Well, okay, you think, okay, fair enough. It's slightly odd to answer the question, what do you mean, Jesus? Well, Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount, which is where this passage is, is explaining something. It's explaining one concept. And the concept is, I'm Jesus, I'm the king. Therefore, a king has a kingdom. I'm announcing that kingdom. I'm announcing the way that my kingdom works. I'm kind of announcing the, the, the rules of my kingdom, the cultures of my kingdom, uh, what my kingdom looks like, what it looks like to follow me. Uh, and he, his Sermon on the Mount is a long explanation of Jesus' kingdom and how it is moving forward and advancing, how his kingdom actually is the restoration of all creation, how it's setting right all the things that have gone wrong. And as Jesus explains this, he also wants us to understand that this kingdom is moving forward. So it is here, but also it's not yet here. It's, it's here and it's still on its way at the same time. So for example, uh, we might pray for someone who is sick and we'll pray for them because we believe that Jesus heals. We read it in the Bible. And we also believe that he encourages us to keep on praying for the sick and to believe that they can be healed. So someone is sick, we'll pray for them to be healed. Sometimes they may be healed. We think, that's brilliant, the kingdom of God is here. I'm excited. And other times, they won't be healed. And you think, that's hard to understand. I don't know why that's happened, but it shows that the kingdom of God is still on its way, if that makes sense. And Jesus is explaining. And so when we fast, we're saying we want the kingdom of God to move forward so much I'm willing to give up food, to pray, to hunger for the advance of Jesus' kingdom, his way of doing things. So when Jesus says, look, when the bridegroom is here, you want to hang out with the bridegroom because he likes to eat, he likes to drink, he likes to be with people. So why would you not eat food when I'm here? But when I'm gone, you're desperate for me to return. So pray and fast. So Scott McKnight, he, he writes a book on fasting. He's an American theologian, and he says, look, fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. So these grievous, sacred moments are about saying, we need to see the advance of God's kingdom. We do. And that can be in all sorts of situations. It can be in your own life. Thinking, there is something going on in me or in my life. I want to see God advance into that because God is not in it, so I want to see God advance in it, so I'm fasting. We might see it in our friendship, uh, our friendship groups. We might think, oh, there's something going on here. I want these people to uh, know Jesus and become Christians, or uh, there's some issue there. Whatever it might be, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast. That would happen. Maybe even you look at Manchester, the city you live in, you see numbers of the difficulties that are in our city, and you might think, actually, uh, there is nothing I can do about these things. I don't know how to solve these problems at all. So I'm going to fast. Perhaps you look at conflict in Israel or Ukraine or any number of other places on the planet and you think, I'm just one person or we're just a group here. What can we possibly do? You can pray. You can fast. You can ask God to move forwards. You can ask his kingdom to advance in any of those situations. Also, fasting is a physical act of worship. It is denying ourselves to glorify God. And we don't often think of worship in a very physical way. So even when we stand here and sing on a Sunday, especially us Westerners, we tend to be 
like as little physicality as we can. If you're doing well, you do that. Okay, that's about as physical as it gets. But Jesus is saying, look, when you fast, actually, it is a way of worshiping with your body. It's not just a mind thing. It's not just an emotion thing. But physically, you can use your body to worship. You can worship by denying yourself. And actually, denying yourself in a world that encourages indulgence. Denying yourself in a city like ours that really encourages indulgence. It encourages just do what you feel is right. Just meet your own needs. Do it quickly. That's important. It's even a high value. It's uh, important for us as a culture to say we meet our own needs. It's important for us. That is what a good human looks like. And Jesus says, well, actually, one of the ways that you can worship is to deny yourself in a world that encourages indulgence. Fasting as well deliberately chooses discomfort in a world that worships comfort. Choosing discomfort is really, really good for you, believe it or not. Because actually it helps you to deal with discomfort when it comes and you have no choice. To fast and to choose discomfort to worship God actually is a very powerful thing. And fasting as well encourages, well, it's an act of submission, really. It's saying, okay, my needs aren't important, my my comfort isn't important, I will sit in that, that place of discomfort because I'm submitted to you, God, because you are more important than me. And in a culture that worships the individual and the rights of the individual and uh, us as uh, autonomous beings and we should be well looked after and we should be uh, in a good place, actually saying, I submit to God in my discomfort and in my lack, and that is worship. Fasting is a very powerful way of doing that. When I've fasted, it's because I've wanted to see a big change in church, whether we're planting a new site or whether there is a difficulty in church life, whatever it might be, a grievous moment, as Scott McKnight would say, whether that's a grievous moment, like we're planting this thing, we really need you to move, Lord God. We, we plant because we want to see devotion, community, mission in our city. We want to see that in all of our sites, and so I'm going to fast in order for that to take place. It, with my kids, there have been various grievous moments uh, with my children, and at various points in life, my response has been, I don't know what to do, which happens more often than you thought as a parent. And generally, I don't know what to do. What's my only option? I'm going to fast. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put myself before God, and I'm going to be hungry because I'm hungry for him to help me to resolve this situation or to at least give me some wisdom. And sometimes I fast just as worship. That's all it is. No other reason. I don't want anything. This is just a way of worshipping. I feel some distance from God, so I'm going to not eat for a period of time as worship. Fasting says, God, I need you more than I need food. It's worth thinking about that. More than I need food. You might just be feeling hungry now thinking about lunch you might be you might be hungry now because you didn't quite have enough for breakfast or it was like three hours ago and that's quite a distracting thing but that kind of pain that distraction you can use it say actually I need you gods more than I need to meet this need that I physically feel right now there is power in that obedience secondly there is also power in the hiddenness So he goes on to say, Jesus says, look, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting so so that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus loves the hidden life. Jesus loves that secret place. 
And in Jesus' day, the religious people of the time, they would fast twice a week. And when they fasted, they would deliberately not clean themselves. And the way you would clean yourself at the time was you would kind of rub oil into yourself and then scrape it off. That's one of the ways they clean themselves. And they would also, if you were fasting, they would put ashes on their head. So effectively, on the two days you would fast, you'd look filthy. And everybody would see that you looked filthy and gloomy. You just showed you were fasting. And because they were like religious types that would do this, you can see, ah, it's Thursday, it's fasting day. You can tell because he's got dirt in his face and he hasn't had a wash. That, it was a way of advertising. So your spiritual discipline, your worship is a performance for everybody else to see. It's a bit like posting your prayer times on Instagram, like where you have that very carefully curated cup of coffee, the Bible open on a not controversial passage, and then a notebook and pen and saying, I'm looking forward to my time with God, or whatever it might be. Pharisees would have melted Instagram with that stuff. Or it's like at the end of the meeting, just standing next to the cakes, but not eating one, going, I'm not eating today because... I'm fasting. That's what I do. It's a very public declaration. Or perhaps tonight, if you come along to Fallowfield for our evening meeting and we go to the pub afterwards, going to the pub and saying, oh, I can't buy a round of drinks this evening because I've given too much money to the poor. That's what I've done. It's a very kind of performative way of doing things. And that's what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus wants his disciples to go to the secret place. The same way you give to the poor in secret. Remember, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. The same way you go and pray, you go into a room, you shut the door and pray, as Jesus said, the same way you fast. There is power in hiddenness, in the secret. And it's perhaps lost to us a bit in the modern world. Jesus is calling us to be unseen. Not only unseen, but unthought of. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is saying, Go and do this stuff in secret because I don't want people to think about what you're doing. I want you to be unthought of. Sounds quite lonely, doesn't it? How often do you hear people say, I I want to inspire others? So in the the mornings when their kids are getting up for school, we're eating breakfast, sometimes we'll put uh, the news on, kind of breakfast news in the morning. And numbers of times they'll, they'll be interviewing people who are doing various charity ventures and, the, and part of their narrative will be, I just I want to inspire others to do the same thing. You think, well, that's very interesting kind of language to use, very modern way of thinking about doing a good thing. It's, actually, it's not a good thing in its own right. Actually, it's an inspiration to others to copy me. Uh, or you might see people say, I want to influence others. And being an influencer is a full-time job now, if you want it to be. And neither of these things are necessarily wrong, but they are a cry to be observed, Right? I want you to think about the things I'm doing. I want you to see the things I'm doing, perhaps even to copy the things I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing so that these things so that you can see me. Whereas Jesus calls us to a hidden, secret, unseen, unthought of place. And Jesus' instruction here is meant to make ourselves ask some awkward questions, just of what's going on in our hearts, that who do I need to be seen by? In the things that I do, who am I pretty happy when others observe me to do that? And it's a great question. Who do I need that approval from? Now, it's not a call to arrogance. I just do what I want to do. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Because actually, Jesus teaches on community. The church is described as a body. We all love and serve each other. So the, the activity we have has impact. But there is something that goes on in our hearts there where Jesus is saying, 
Who needs to see you? Really, who needs to see what you're doing? And being seen as well, again, is another quite modern uh, thing to talk about, isn't it? Uh, recently, I was going through a very tough moment uh, and was uh, explaining this to one of the teams in CCM that I lead uh, and was just explaining what was going on in my life. And they were listening and being very kind and it, it was good. And one of them says, Tim, we see you. Uh, and it was a very nice thing to say. It was, I appreciate the compliment. It's a, a nice thing. It's a very modern thing to say, isn't it? We see you in this moment. And it's nice to think when life is difficult that people see that and kind of want to help you perhaps walk alongside you. I think that's a a very good, godly thing to do. But actually, really, it's not super useful if if we're being honest. Someone says, yeah, we see you, and it's a good thing. But then at some point, they'll see something else, and they'll forget about you. Uh, and they move on to something or someone else. And I know I do that. So if I'm with someone who's having a particularly hard time, I'm, I feel terrible for them. You pray with them and you feel it in yourself. Uh, but then you leave and you go on to the next thing in life and you move on from. They're still in their difficult moment, but you move on to other things. Well, Jesus is offering us something very different, something not limited by our humanity or our short attention span. He's offering us to be seen by our Father in heaven, the creator of all things, the infinite God, he sees us. He can comprehend what we are going through, for better or worse, regardless. Our Father in heaven sees everything. It's incredible, actually, to think about that. And there are a few few psalms that help us. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to jump around a few psalms here. should appear behind me. It's not going to. So you're going to work hard and read your Bible. Psalm 139, verses 15 to 16. Go. Go there, Psalm 139, 15, 16. Jesus, uh, the psalmist says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, and as yet there was none of them. We were made in secret, seen in secret, and God saw every day that we would live before we even existed. That's how known you are in secret. That's a bit better than Instagram, isn't it? And that's not a perfectly curated life. That's God saying, I know everything that was going to happen to you, all of the crazy stuff, the things that you wish you hadn't done and the things you wish you had done. I'm going to see all of that before you're even formed properly. That's how well I know you and I see you. So when God says... Well, when Jesus says your father sees in secret, that's what he sees to start with. He sees everything about you. You are completely and entirely known by God beyond even what you know about yourself. We talk a little bit about how someone could be self-aware or not self-aware. And actually, God sees you regardless of how you understand yourself. It's important. Psalm 44, verse 20. Jump there now, please. So if Psalm 139, that shows that God completely knows us. Also, God shows he he actually sees what's going on in our hearts. 44 verse 20 says, If we had forgotten the name of our gods or spread out our hands to a foreign god, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our hearts. At the moment, even when we decide, actually, I'm, I'm giving myself to something that isn't God, or my heart is being won over by something else in life, 
And I'm choosing now to worship that instead of him. Even if we do that slowly and incrementally and don't quite realize how we've devoted ourselves to something else that isn't God's, God sees what we've done. He knows the secrets of our hearts. That's what it is to be really seen. So somebody can say, I see you, Tim, which is a good thing. And they, they, they want to walk alongside me in my difficult moment. But when God says, I see you, he says, I see all the secrets of your heart. In that secret place, when you are fasting, that hidden place, I see all the secrets of your heart. And finally, Psalm 81, verse 7, if you want to jump there. So 139 says, he knows us completely, knows our future and our past. Uh, In Psalm 44, it talks about how he sees everything that is in our hearts. And Psalm 81, he says, "In in distress you called and I delivered you, verse 7. I answered you in the secret place of thunder, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. That hidden place where we cry out to God or that hidden place where life is difficult. You're in a storm, it is thundering. Or perhaps you're in that secret place and you're shouting because you're so desperate and it sounds like thunder. You're in a distressful place. God hears you in that secret place. God hears you. Jesus loves the secret hidden place because in those times... He sees you, then he sees what no one else can see. So I ask you this morning to think about uh, where is your secret place? Do you have a hidden place? Does the routine of your life allow you time to be hidden, just you and God? If it doesn't, then I suggest maybe think about ways that you can fit God into your busy schedule. What is your secret place? And the third place of power Uh, The secret power in fasting. Uh, We've looked at power in obedience, power in hiddenness. And then there is power in the Father's approval or power in heavenly rewards. And Jesus ends this little bit on fasting by saying the same thing again. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if we are going to that hidden place, you are saying, I'm going to give up food for a time. This is, I'm going to give up food for this amount of time. We're seeking God with our prayers, with our hunger, and it's hidden away. No one can see. No one knows about this. Well, what happens? Really, what happens? Well, Jesus says, your father sees it, and we understand now what seeing means. That's a very powerful thing to be seen by the creator of all things. That's a powerful moment. Let's not skip over that. It's not like he sees us fasting and goes, oh, there he is, and then moves on. It's a much deeper thing, very powerful. And then he rewards you. What does that mean? Well, let's remember, this is all in the Sermon on the Mount. This is about the advance of the kingdom of God. This is about us actually realizing what our call is as humans is to be in the kingdom of God, is to be the image of God, the representation of him in everything that we do. We are kind of agents of the kingdom of God moving forwards. That is our rewards. So as we fast, as we pray, I think God rewards us with being part of that, of seeing faith for breakthrough, seeing faith for actually the advance of the kingdom. And that can be in yourself. Actually, fasting is a relatively humiliating experience because you realize how weak and pathetic you actually are. Well, I certainly do. Even if I'm not fasting, even if lunch is a little bit late, I get hangry. I just, I'm ready to, I become very impatient 
I become pretty unkind quite quickly. Now, all of these things kick in, really, because I'm like, I just need a sandwich. And everything in life needs to center around the fact that I need a sandwich. And that needs to change very quickly. Otherwise, somebody's going to get shouted at. This, and actually, that, re- that realization is really very important, of that deep impatience that is within me and actually is just below the surface, that actually you remove the kind of uh, sedating power of food, and actually it comes to the surface very quickly, that I am self-centered, and that actually comfort is the thing that I need most, and that actually I'm not that humble. All of that comes out very quickly when I fast. All of those emotions and feelings come out very quickly. When Paul was saved, um, then he fasted for a number of days, in that time of fasting, I imagine it was deep mourning of realizing he wasn't humble, he was arrogant, that he was very self-centered, that the world span around his worldview, so much so he was willing to throw people in jail so they would conform to his way of doing things. Now, actually, as we fast, it reveals what's going on in our hearts. If you really want to know, okay, how am I doing in, with God? Where's my relationship with God? Fast for 24 hours. You will find out very quickly. Also, when we fast, we go up against evil. Very dramatic, isn't it, to think about it in those terms? You actually go into battle with evil. Look at Jesus in the desert. He went up against Satan for 40 days. Very powerfully went up against evil. And he goes up in that. He goes up against sickness, goes up against death and conflicts. And we can copy Jesus as we fast. As we pray, as we seek for breakthrough in stuff, in that you're going up against where the kingdom is not advancing. You go up against evil in the world as you pray and as you fast. And you might think that's quite dramatic for not eating food for a few days. But actually, I think there is a lot that happens in fasting that is a bit beyond our understanding. Actually, to trust Jesus and say, you know what, Lord Jesus, I'm going to not eat food for this amount of time because I want to see you advance I want evil to retreat. It's a very powerful thing. It's the, the reward there from our Father in heaven. And finally, we, we can fast and we fast for mission. Actually, we fast to see the kingdom of God advance and to see churches planted. In, it talks about in Acts 13 how uh, the church leaders of a particular church were worshipping together, they were fasting together, and the Holy Spirit said, send Paul and Barnabas somewhere else to do mission. And that was the result of them worshipping and fasting together. As we stand together as a church, as we look to advance, as we look to see the kingdom of God move forwards, to go through times of not eating food is an important part of that, right? So I want, and this is where I'm going to annoy you, CCM, I want you to consider fasting. I'm going to try and catch all of your eyes. I'm not going to I'll follow up with you afterwards. I'm not going to be texting you in the week. How's the hunger going? Hashtag no lasagna. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to suggest you consider fasting. Now, for some of you, there'll be health reasons why that would be a terrible idea. Please don't fast if that is, it's going to make you genuinely sick. But for most of us, it's very possible. And actually, one of the things I hear people say often is, oh, I couldn't fast. I, I just get really grumpy and angry. I'm like, yes, that's the whole point. Actually, it's very good for us. Consider. Consider eating dinner on a Monday evening and then having next time you eat breakfast on a Wednesday morning. Just consider it 
as an idea. You might think, well, Tim, I've got to go to work, and my work is quite high energy, and I need to be on my feet all day, and that would be pretty tiring. And I would say, yes, it will be. Absolutely, it is. Uh, And it is to be, for you to consider a length of time. But I think if you do, you will be surprised what God will do. And even if you think, well, Tim, I'm going to not eat, but it's going to be hard for me to get in extra prayer times or anything like that. I just see fasting in its own right as something that is powerful and something that Jesus did and that we're called to do. And actually, we don't know what might happen, but God is good, right? Right? 